Trammell and Chin team up once more. Dug again by Hornung. Maybe her best one yet. Right side to Cleveland. Tools the block of Farmer. Here comes and catches the back row. Second ace of the set for the Boilermakers, and they close it out, 25-20. Grace Cleveland goes cross-court. Grace Cleveland wins the match and propels Purdue to elite status. Welcome back to the Dig City Podcast. Uh, a changing of the guard here at the uh, at the host voice. I'm Corey Palm bringing you the uh, the call here, the conversation with Coach Dave Shondell, replacing the, the very capable... Uh, hands uh, Daniel Gilman as he moves on, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on ourselves, Coach. We're gonna move forward, and uh, just it's it's great to be here. It's great to to be hosting this and talking about uh, my favorite Purdue sports uh, franchise, the, the the Boilermaker Volleyball Squad. Well, Corey, we're glad to have you on board, and we've worked together for a long time and a variety of different uh, shows. So it's it's great to have a familiar face and a familiar voice on Dig City and I just think this is a great avenue to communicate with our fans and and let them know what's happening uh, with our program and we give them a lot of inside skinny and so hopefully they appreciate that and this is something we can do about every couple weeks and uh, keep people on top of our game. Definitely and it's a good time to be uh, to be tuning in to Purdue Volleyball. I, I Before we get to the scrimmage talk uh, uh, I know you know, coaches say what they say about preseason polls and polls in general, but the, the preseason poll came out yesterday. The Boilermakers checking in at eighth, uh, a, a top 10 preseason ranking. You know, it says great things about the, the state of the program, I think, but, but those are my opinions. What's, mm. What are your thoughts? Well, so often that first poll is kind of a reflection of the previous season, and this year wasn't a whole lot different, although I did think that some people were looking beyond what happened last year. You saw Kentucky, who was a national champion, not be number one, but be number three. You saw some West Coast teams that did not even you know, make the NCAA tournament a year ago uh, were in the top 25 because uh, what the expectations are for them. But overall, I thought it was, it was pretty fair. Um, it wasn't too far. I'm on the committee, and the overall uh, 25 was not a whole lot different than what I sent in um, uh, about a week ago. So, uh, and, and us being at eight, I think is fine. Uh, I, I think that right now Texas and Wisconsin are the two programs that everybody looks at and thinks they're going to be hard to beat. They've got great physicality, uh, great history, good setting. I mean, they're, they're good in all the areas you need to be to be uh, a championship caliber team. Uh, so uh, then after that, I think it can be, you know, it's a mashed potatoes kind of a situation, really, with, with the next, you know, eight, nine, ten teams. And we're in that group. And nobody knows what everybody looks at, what it looks like right now in preseason camp. I know what we look like, and I'm, I'm happy with who we are and how we're working and, and how we're developing and the attitudes and behaviors. So uh, all I can do is, is focus on our team and try to help us become the best we can be. And right now, that's that's going pretty well. So I'm, I'm excited. We've had about eight days of practice at this point, eight or nine. And uh, we will give them tomorrow off from practice because I think they need a little mental health break. We're going to go out to the lake and enjoy that and do a little team building and have a good meal at the Sportsman, which is always a great meal. So, um, you know, you got to know your team and, and, and how to how to manage them and handle them to, to get the most out of them. And sometimes they need a break, and tomorrow is going to be that opportunity. 
And you say you say eight or nine days mm -hmm. of, of training. That's uh, a lot of times two two sessions oh, a day. Most days that's two two practices a day. We did just have the scrimmage was the only thing we did on Sunday, uh, and we had Saturday off. You have to give your players one day off a week, even during uh, preseason. And but this this t this week we'll give them a couple mm -hmm. um, because I just think in the back of your mind you're remembering that your season ran late last year. Right. And you played all the way until the end of April, and they had May, June, July off, but they weren't really off because they were still conditioning and, and doing things and playing catch up in a lot of different ways, of, whether it be socially or family or whatever it might be. And so you have to be careful that you're not overdoing it. And I'm, I'm going to err on the side of mental health. Uh, this season, not that I, I don't do that normally, don't get me wrong, but I think you have to be really careful that your, your people are getting their time uh, to get away from, from some of the stuff uh, when you get that chance. It's always a great approach. To be, just to be cognizant of that speaks, speaks well of, of where you're at mentally. Um, you mentioned the scrimmage on Sunday, the, the only thing of the weekend. How, how did the team look? I, it's, it's tough from an outsider's perspective, seeing Purdue against Purdue, and mm -hmm. you know, you see a great defensive player, or you know, you're mad at the attack, and vice versa. How the team look? Well, I think most coaches can appreciate this. Whenever you put your group in front of, uh, even though it was not a great crowd because we didn't announce it until about 24 hours before the time because we were afraid we might get too many. <laughs> um, you always want them to perform well. You want to impress the people that you're playing for, and that's your fans. And so when you're you're feeling a lot of a little bit of pressure as a coach that maybe they're not playing as well as you saw them play in practice a couple of days earlier. Uh, and so I, I think we could have been better, but overall, when I went back and watched it on on tape, it was a good performance. This is a really really good defensive team, and we get frustrated with our offense because really our primary goal with this group in non-conference and throughout the early part of the season is becoming a, a really good offensive team. Last season, we were as good of a defensive team as there was in the Big Ten, both from a blocking and digging standpoint. The numbers indicate that. But our offensive efficiency, our hitting percentage, was sixth in the league. And that's not going to be good enough to win the league. Right. Um, a, a lot of the times, your success is dictated by your hitting percentage. But uh, sometimes it can vary a little bit, but not six spots. So if you want to win the league, you can't finish sixth in the hitting percentage race. So that's been our focus, but it gets frustrating because we're trying to improve our hitting percentage, but we're playing against tremendous defensive players on, on both sides of the net. And last night, for example, when we did team play and, and our grand manager, Michael, uh, did the, uh, the stats, we barely hit 100. And and so I and I was there and I thought man it was good volleyball mm -hmm. it was good swings good defense I was pleased then he told me you only hit a hundred I thought well that's not good but you have to put it in perspective and we are tough to score on so not only are we going to have a hard time in practice hitting for a high hitting efficiency mm -hmm. I think people we play are going to face the same dilemma because we serve tough we block well. And we dig the crap out of the ball. Mm -hmm. We're just a really, really good defensive volleyball team. Why has that been the case the last couple of years? Is it is it, is it a matter of of the talent on the floor? Are you guys doing something different, emphasizing 
different different strategies? Well, no, I think that's been our emphasis for 19 years, uh, is that we're going to control the things that you can control, and, and you can serve pass and play defense. Those are the three things you don't have to be six foot four and, and jump and touch ten foot six to be able to do. I've always believed we're going to serve, pass, and play defense. The rest of the stuff will take care of itself. But those are the, are the building blocks of what we're trying to do. We got into a, a time where we had great athleticism, but we didn't have some of that ball control. Part of that was some of the people we thought could develop into that did not at the, at the pace we thought. But we also, which was rare for our program, we lost a couple players that mm -hmm. really affected us. One took a medical, that was a great libero, yep. and then one left to go back home. And they were the two players right about the same time that were going to be passing the entire floor for us and making a lot of defensive plays, and poof, they're gone. And so we had to use some younger players. And so for a couple years, we were behind the curve for a Purdue volleyball team. but. We've worked our way through that, and so now we've got just a, a plethora of, of really good passers and defenders, and um, really we go seven deep. Yeah. And, and I didn't think I could would say that at the middle of the summer that people like Savannah Chacon and Ava Torrance and uh, Emma Terwilliger would be in the same category that we could we could do the same things with them that we're doing with. Jenna Otek, who was a defensive player of the year in the Big Ten a year ago. Mo Horning, who is just playing out of her mind right now. Um, as well as uh, um, Skimmerhorn, that I think has been, been really, really good for two years for us and is ready to make that next jump to even compete for a libero spot on our team. And then, of course, the freshman, Allie Horning, that is, is going to be a blue chipper as well. She just has some things to do to catch up with the pace of the game. Uh, being just a freshman, but really happy with where we are from a ball control standpoint. And I think our fans, Purdue loves defense. Yeah, I mean that's just who Purdue is. You know, handle the things you can handle, outplay, out outwork people. You know, get down and get gritty, and that's why I think our fans uh, will like this team. But we're also going to be good in some other categories as well. I've always kind of likened. There's an old golf adage that you that you drive for show, but you putt for dough. Yeah, I've always sort of likened that to volleyball. You know. The hitters get all the attention, mm -hmm. but championships are one of the back line a yeah. lot of times. And yeah. so getting that serve receive, keeping that serve receive at the high level it was at last year, yeah. was so key. Going yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's the beauty of you get Jenna Otek you know, coming back. Um, of course, Minnesota got Samity coming back, and yeah. Wisconsin yeah. got Recky and Lilly, or, or Hilly, I'm sorry, Hilly coming back. And so everybody has certain people coming back, but uh, between Jenna Otek and Caitlin Newton, they passed a lot of balls. They were on the floor all six rotations mm -hmm. for a long time. And then, as I mentioned, look out for Mo Horning this year because we had a scrimmage, as you mentioned, on, on Sunday night, and Mo dug 42 balls in that five-set match, 42, and some of those were rockets. And then on the other side of the net, um, Jen Otek dug 35. So between the two of them, they dug 77 balls. So that's some, some inside scoop that a lot of people don't know because they haven't seen. We didn't show the stats uh, on uh, on social media, but that's a lot of digs by two people. Yeah, no doubt. Their, their forearms were sore yeah. come Monday morning. Um, anybody else stand out in camp so far? I've, I've heard a lot of buzz about the freshman class coming in. It, that happens a lot of times because you're seeing these kids on the court for the first time you know, in Holloway, but... Uh... Yeah, there, you know, there's some, some people that our fans are not real familiar with that I think um, 
they're going to notice this year. Um, one would be Meg Renner. Meg is a redshirt sophomore that, you know, redshirted her first year, then she got hurt right after her redshirt season with an ACL tear during the spring and uh, kind of wobbled around a little bit last year, was never full strength, got close toward the end of the season. Um, but now it's been about a year and a half out, and that's when a full recovery should be about, and she's a different player right now. She's the heir apparent. You know, Haley's only got one year. Yeah. This is her last season for Haley Bush. So um, certainly Meg, we have to groom her and have her in, in top form as this season goes on so we can get her some time and get her ready to take over the reins uh, uh, or to use two setters in a particular moment because uh, Renner can block. Renner is six foot one, six foot one and a half, and sure. is uh, a better blocker than what Haley is, and, and that's one of the strengths that she has. So she's somebody that I think our fans will appreciate. Lourdes Myers um, was a redshirt freshman a year ago that uh, had surgery in, in her lower leg, which prevented her from, from playing. And so now she's back and, and doing some great things. Just a splendid athlete, six foot three, touches 10 feet six. Um, a little bit green as far as lack of experience, both at the high level in club or high school, and then hit, sitting out a whole year before mm -hmm. she could play for us this season. So she, she needs some playing time and just needs time in, in practice and in the gym. I mentioned those backcourt players. Uh, Molly Brown is another player that uh, people didn't see much last year. She was a, you know, would have been a red shirt, but everybody was a red shirt last year. And Molly is, is much better, more physical. Um, but the two freshmen that are, are jumping out are um, you know, Raven Colvin, uh, a name that's uh, not new to Purdue fans. Her, her dad was Roosevelt Colvin that was a great player for Purdue football and then went on to play for the Bears and won a couple Super Bowls for the New England Patriots. But anyway, um, but she's, she is uh, one of the best athletes we've ever recruited in, in our volleyball program. And on top of being a, a superb athlete, she doesn't take a playoff. She just works all the time. She's got the kind of motor that assures herself of having a great career here at Purdue. And then um, I mentioned a little bit about Allie Horning, uh, another freshman that uh, was a top 20 recruit. Both those two were top 20 recruits in the country, mm -hmm. and they're here at Purdue, and uh, they're going to be a, a big part of our future. I know just a little, we'll go a little bit more inside. Uh, Kyle and, and Val, Mm -hmm. Kyle Shondell and Val Nickel, the, the, vo yeah. uh, the voice of the Boilermakers this fall right. on the radio. We're excited about that. It's going to be great. They were in last week mm -hmm. and we were just chatting with them and they were talking about Raven and the jump testing. Yeah. And uh, that Val was just blown away that she touched 10-9 as an incoming freshman. At six foot one half inch. At six foot one half I know you said just otherworldly athlete, but... You put into perspective what touching 10-9 as an 18-year-old, you know, in her first days on campus. Well, I, I think the highest jump touch that we have had at Purdue was uh, Danielle Catino. I think Danielle touched about 10-10, and that was her senior year. And Danielle was six foot four, and I thought maybe the best athlete in the country that year from a volleyball standpoint. You know, was a first-team All-American, mm -hmm. and everybody never wanted to watch her come into their gym because she could just do everything and had a great career for us. But here's Raven that's touching about the same height, uh, only a freshman and, you know, three and a half inches, you know, shorter. But she's got long arms mm -hmm. and, uh, and and jumps very well. And there's a lot more to volleyball than how high you can jump for and sure. touch, as we all know. There's a lot of people that you look at and think, man, wow, that looks like a great volleyball prospect, <laughs> but they can't play. 
but Raven, Raven can play. And, uh, you know, got great training in club in high school and is competing right now for opportunities to be on the floor after one week. Uh, and we're trying to figure out how we get our best six athletes on the floor. And if we do that, she's probably going to be one of them. That brings up uh, uh, an interesting question I, I wanted to ask. Is this the deepest team you've ever had? Without a doubt. There's no question. How, how difficult is that going to be to manage? Uh, it, it, it's as difficult to manage as our players make it. Um, right now, it's been it's been a joy because uh, everybody has the right approach and the right attitude, and they realize that I think that uh, our coaching staff is going to be fair, and we're going to put our best team on the floor. Uh, it is about winning in the Big Ten. You know, this isn't uh, NAIA or or YMCA volleyball. This is the Big Ten, and uh, we're here to build the best team we can. But I think there'll be some opportunities to to, to give people chances. But I also say that your chances and your opportunities are in practice. Mm -hmm. That's when you prove what you can do. And if you go out and, and, and dictate that you belong on the floor in practice, that's where you'll be. Uh, but that doesn't mean it won't change from week to week. Mm -hmm. And just because you haven't gotten to that point yet doesn't mean you might not you know, make some noise later on in the season. But I, you know, Annie Drews made a great comment after the turkey win and she came yeah. onto the scene out of nowhere uh, and her, helping her team win a gold medal. And she talked about role clarity, how they had gone to their coaching staff and said, you know, we're, we're okay with what you want to do, but let us know what it's going to be and give, give each player role clarity. And I think that athletes appreciate and benefit from knowing where they are from week to week. That doesn't mean you got to know every minute, you know, what you think about them and where they are. But maybe if you got two matches on a Friday and a Sunday, on Thursday, having a conversation with those that are you know, borderline, you mm -hmm. know, between playing and not playing a lot, what you see their role being on that particular weekend. Yeah, we're going to start you, and we need you to be ready to go because you've earned this opportunity. Or, you know what, we're going to go with so-and-so, but you're going to be the next person ready to go. And like Annie said, she, she needed to be a game changer. She needed to be ready to come in and, and do something that's going to change the, the uh, the flow of the game. And uh, so I thought Annie made a great point and it's something I think a lot of coaches across the country are going to be utilizing moving forward. I thought it was brilliant. I, I agree. I watched that interview and just, you know, overjoyed for, for Annie and mm -hmm. we'll talk about her in a bit. But uh, I'd never quite heard it put that way. You yeah. know, it's okay if I'm a backup, if I'm a game changer, tell me that. Yeah. Make it clear. You know, role clarity is... It's a great concept. I'm not sure if that's Karcher's terminology or if that's yeah, you know, and programmatic. A, and it's not quite that simple. I mean, they, Annie made it look real simple. You sure? All right, but um, she has a tendency to do that. There, there's a lot of factors that get involved in why why players get irritated with not playing. Mm -hmm. And if it was just the coaching staff and the players, you wouldn't have a lot of problems. It's just when other outside influences start telling those people. Hey, that you should be playing more, so and so is not doing anything, and you, you're better than her, and things like that. But we haven't had a lot of issues at Purdue, and I think that right now I'm, I'm just so proud of the maturity uh, that this team's showing, and, and I hope that we can, you know, continue that. But a lot of it is just honesty and trust that you develop with your with your people. And if you haven't developed honesty and trust, then you probably deserve to have some problems within that framework of a team. One of the things that made this team so special last spring, it seemed, was how much they loved each other. Mm -hmm. Like you say, they, they, the, the bond was so strong. They were so, so cohesive on and off the court. They really, 
enjoyed being around each other. Um, and it showed. It showed in their performance. Is that something that uh, you've seen carry over to this fall still? Yeah, we, we've seen nothing but that area improve, uh, to be honest. It's, um, people enjoy each other. They care about each other. Um, yeah, I, I think that yeah, you love each other, and, and that makes, it, makes a difference with your team. And it makes a difference if, you know, whatever your role might be, how you deal with those other people that either are playing or not, or not playing. If you're playing and they're not playing, you have to, to be really good about helping those other people understand what their role is and, and, and so forth. And, uh, but, you know, when we added the two grad students to the roster because the NCA opened the door and the Big Ten's top players all took advantage of that, um, we had, I had conversations with both of them that, you know, they had, be, had set the example uh, on if, if you didn't play, you know, that you had to be positive and you had to be willing to, to encourage and support the people that are playing. Um, but on the other hand, that I, I didn't plan losing matches just to play people and give them opportunities to, you know, to play. Um, we were going to win. And if that meant they were in the lineup, then they'd be in the lineup. So, but I, I think it's, you know, we did have a conversation with both Caitlin and Jenna that I needed them. I needed their support. I needed their help. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to every player on our team on day one, I said, 21 players on a roster, the biggest challenge I've ever had as a coach in any sport at any time. I can't do it by myself. Yeah. I, need my, I need our staff, our support staff, and every one of our players to help with this proposition because this is the difference of us having a great season and not. Yeah. So hopefully that they'll continue to be supportive and, and we'll have the season that we truly expect to have. Last thing on my list of things to talk about, we, we mentioned her a bit ago, uh, just Annie Drew's winning gold in Tokyo with, with Team USA, uh, the first female volleyball player from the state of Indiana to make the, the Olympics right. uh, on the women's side. Um, certainly, of course, the first Purdue player uh, to go through that process. Um, just thoughts on, on her performance, which was... You could write a book on, on her tournament, really. Um, yeah. Her performance and, and what it's done, what it means uh, for your program. Yeah, her performance was off the chart. Um, you know, as I've mentioned, she was the starter for the USA team for about a year and a half. She was the MVP of the Volleyball Nations League, which is their world championship that USA won about a year earlier. So it's not like she wasn't well-known across the world. Mm -hmm. um, but Jordan Thompson beat her out for that spot because it just so happened USA has two of the best opposite position players in the world. Um, and Annie accepted it, but she was ready, as we've talked about. And then she, she led the USA in kills in six matches in a row, uh, the last three of the preliminary pool and all three in the medal bracket, including the gold medal match. She led the USA in kills. Um, for her just to make the team was a shining moment for Purdue Volleyball. Mm -hmm. For her to play the way she played was an incredible opportunity for our program to, to showcase what players can do. But for her to win a gold medal and then to have her be the almost a spokesperson for the volleyball, for the USA volleyball team, it, it couldn't have been any better for, in my opinion, for Purdue Volleyball. And recruits take notice of that. Every recruit in the country knows who Annie Drews is mm -hmm. and where she played. 
And so that that's been something you can't you can't buy. I mean, you you couldn't do enough advertising and and uh, you know to put Purdue's name out there, Purdue volleyball, to match what just happened with with Annie Drew. So we owe Annie a lot for for that, and and we're we're so proud of of her and, and what she did, and to think that here's this woman that played in our program that's got a gold medal, and will go down in history as being the first on the first team. USA volleyball team, women's volleyball team, to win a gold medal, and she was a significant part of that of that winning team. So it, it's it's remarkable. I talked to Annie on the phone yesterday. She's working hard to find a time to come back and, and help us celebrate her um, this season, and I, and I know she'll make that work because it'd just be too bad. But she does play in Japan. Uh, she's getting married. Uh, I think the first weekend in September. She leaves for Japan in early October, so sometime she's going to try to squeeze in a visit back here to Purdue that we can all, um, you know, thank her for what what she accomplished for our program. One thing about being an Olympic gold medalist, uh, there's a lot more demand on your time. Yeah, and than, than you know, before. it's funny because I thought, man, she needs to get a gum contract, chewing gum contract, <laughs> and she does. She does. She does. Good. And uh, so I thought that was amazing because nobody chewed that gum with more authority <laughs> than uh, what Annie Drews did. But no, for, for me, it was it was one of the greatest moments of, of my coaching career. And even though I didn't coach a minute during the Olympics. Um, I sure felt good watching her play and, and what it meant for our program in the state of Indiana. Well, I know a lot of Purdue fans were right there with you. And yeah. Up way too late. Yeah. Uh, it was with, some late late with, matches with, or early uh, early morning matches. Yeah. With uh, with you know misty eyed reactions yeah. to, to yeah. just a fantastic moment. Yeah. Coach, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. That's great. Uh, we got another scrimmage coming up this weekend, and then uh, then we get into it. we'll we'll be back before the season starts to. To preview that opening weekend. Yeah, and the scrimmage is, is free to the public, and, and we hope to have a great crowd for this one. That's 2 o'clock on, on Saturday, and I don't know if we'll have even teams. That, you know, we tried to balance them out uh, on, on Sunday, and we did a good job because <laughs> it, it went down to 17-15 in the fifth with the uh, black team beating the gold. And we'll probably do something similar again uh, on Saturday. We hope to see a lot of fans out there. Awesome. Get out there to Holloway Gym, 2 o'clock on Saturday. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you right back here next time on the Dick City Podcast.